Hello and welcome. We are taking a short break in the middle of our Exodus teaching series to do this two-week mini-series called Entrusted, where we will look at some of the key things that the Bible has to teach us about money and giving. Now, I'm doing a bit of a re-record here on a Monday morning. Um, Last night was our first night at Coffs Harbour High School, um, and um, there was lots going on, and we couldn't manage to get the podcast working, so I'll have another crack at it here and try and fix up some of the mistakes I made last night. Get a second go at it. Um, Now, whenever we talk about money and giving, uh, you know, many of us might be a little hesitant, uh, feel a bit nervous and anxious about the topic. Um, That can be for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, Maybe you just consider money to be a private and personal topic and you you don't really want to talk about it in church or talk to others about what you do with your money or be told what to do with your money. Um, Some of you are, you know, hesitant, um, you know, because you've actually seen money abused and misused in church organisations before and so you're a bit suspicious whenever churches talk about money, which is fair enough. I think on some level it's good for us to be wary And um, it's important for churches to be transparent about where the money goes and how it's spent and the guidelines that are used. And if you've got any questions in that regard, please reach out. Um, All of the budgeting and how money is spent is readily available. Um, We can send you a document um, by email or whatever you need. So ask away. Um, But let me attempt to allay some of your fears. Uh, The purpose of this series is not simply that you would give or give more, the purpose of doing this series is that your heart for God would grow. God is very interested in your heart and the way you think about money and what, the way you decide what to do with money is actually a very key part of your Christian life and it impacts the heart. Um, and so that's why we're digging into this series. It's a really important part of our Christian lives together. Um, and some of you have probably already done some thinking about it and you've, um, you, you've lived with, with um, solid principles in mind and about giving for many years. Others, you may not have had the chance to do that. So here's a great opportunity uh, to think deeply and, and seriously about how we should view our money and what, to, what the Bible calls us to do with money. Um, a few other little disclaimers. Um, next one is um, to be part of Anchor, you do not have to give. You know, I trust you'll never feel forced to give and you never feel like you, uh, you know, called to give under compulsion. Uh, the New Testament calls us to be cheerful givers, like, that we give from hearts that want to worship God and we understand it's part of our worshipping of Him. Um, and so you, no one will ever find out if you give or not or how much you do give. I, I certainly won't. And um, our treasure is very discreet with looking through the financial records, you'll never be treated differently according to whether you give or how much you give here in this church. Um, Second disclaimer is a bit of a however. Um, However, the reality is all churches, no matter what the model of church, even house church, all churches need financial resources on some level to function and particularly if they want to grow the gospel. Um, and, And that's certainly the case for Anchor. Um, financial resources needed for this family to function um, and for us to continue to grow the gospel in this area. Um, So talking about money and finances will just be part of our life together like any family needs to consider their finances. 
um, particularly if we want to see more and more people come to know Jesus and be discipled deeply, we, we will over the years need to um, keep stretching, actually, to increase the amount of resource to fund the mission here on the Coffs Coast. Um, now, why do I say here we are talking about money, um, but really the big purpose is that your heart would grow towards God? Well, it just so happens one of the most direct channels to your heart is actually through the topic of money. You might have heard the saying, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, I think the Bible would say, actually, the way to a man's heart is actually through his wallet. The the way to a woman's heart is through the money. The way to a child's heart, it's, it's all the same. The way to a person's heart is actually through money. And, and, and when, when I say that, what I'm saying is um, one of the ways of understanding what's going on in the heart of a person is by looking at what they do with their money. Do you want to know where your heart is at insofar as what you really long for and worship, where your heart is at towards God? Well, follow the money trail. Take a good look at what you do with your money and that will show you where your loves and longings and priorities lie. Um, I trust that that is why Jesus talked about money a fair bit. He was after the heart and talking about money is one way to find out what's going on in the heart and nudge the heart. Uh, It's also why the apostles, Peter and Paul, you know, um, talk about money in their letters as well is because they also want followers of Jesus to actually um, worship him in their hearts. And money is a key way um, to, to go into that space and talk about the deep things. Um, Luke chapter 12 you know, is one of the you know, more famous, well-known um, teachings of Jesus um, that says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What that means is, what Jesus is meaning by that is, you know, where you spend your money um, will show where your heart is focused. And more broadly, your attitude towards money it will just be a key revealer and influencer of your heart towards God. In fact, in, in two different ways does money, you know, kind of get to us in the heart. Number one, you know, where you currently spend your money or wish you could spend more of your money actually indicates your real loves and longings. And secondly, changing how you use your money will influence your heart's desires. Yeah, so it's an indicator and it's an influencer of the heart. So my question to you is this, do you want your heart to change and grow? Do you want to expand your heart to delight more in in the God is worthy of all of your worship? Then do the uncomfortable hard work of thinking seriously about your money. Face the reality of where your heart is really at and adjust your approach to how you spend your money. The way we're going to attempt to do that um, right now is to answer two key key questions in regards to money. Uh, Number one, whose is it, really? And a key way to show that you believe. So the first one, whose is it? 
in regards to money. So we're going to step back and ask some big kind of basic questions, but they're the very foundation that we need to consider. And we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, which is the passage that in home groups, all our groups looked at this week and wrestled with. Um, When you come to 1 Timothy, um, understand this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor. um, And, you know, almost the whole final chapter of this letter um, addresses an issue that's going on in the church in regards to money. And it's particularly their love of money. Um, apparently there's, there's people in church who have got too much of a heart for more, mo- more money. Um, and it's, it's the people without much, it's the wealthy ones, and it's even the leaders who it looks like um, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So the problems everywhere in the church are love of money. Um, and so Paul wants to instruct this new young pastor, Timothy, in how to um, encourage people to grow when this is part of the issue. In the church, um, have a look at some of the language and some of the uh, verses that um, speak to us about um, money and you know how we're meant to think about it from the ground up. Um, tune in there at verse seven on chapter six. It says, "For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it." You know, you, you arrive naked in this world, and you're going to leave the same way. In, in regards to money and possessions, you, you didn't bring any into this world with you and you can't take any out with you. Which means that what you have during this life is just temporary. You've got it just for a brief moment. It's not permanent. And the letter goes on to tell us, therefore, don't put your hope in it, in wealth or money or possessions. Yeah? So there's the first point. Um, you you just get it for a brief moment, and it's just temporary. Um, The second thing to acknowledge, um, you know, is where does it come from then? If we just get it for a brief moment, where does it come from? Well, verse 13 and 17 will tell us that. 13 kind of starts big picture. Look at the description of God there. It says, In the sight of God who gives life to everything. Just pause on that for a minute. Um, You have life right now. Um, That has come to you as a gift from God. God is the one who gave you the life that you're living. So life is a gift from God that you get to have for just a few short years. And verse 17 will go on to say, it's not just the life you have, but everything you get in this life is also a gift from God. Have a look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, now, usually when we read that, um, we think, oh, who are rich in this present world? We think, oh, that's other people. No, no, this is being addressed to us. You know, relatively speaking, globally, we are, we are so wealthy. So hear this for yourself. Um, hear this command. Um, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. You know, don't, don't put your confidence in, in, in try and find security in wealth. Um, it's so uncertain. It, it says, instead, put your hope in God, and look at the description of God here, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, not only does the life that you've got come from God, but everything you get in this life is provided by a generous God who richly provides for you. So everything you have in your hands, everything you have at your disposal, all your money, Um, All your possessions are received as a gift from a generous God for just a few short years 
while you live here. Now, you might hear that and say, yeah, okay. Um, but surely while I've got it, it's mine to do with as I wish? Well, in a sense, yes. Yeah, you, you get to decide what's in your hands. Um, but in another sense, no, actually. Because it's not simply yours to do with as you wish. And this is the question we're trying to answer. Well, whose is it really? Money, possessions. Well, you know, you come to Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Um, and and what we, I'll show you a few Psalms here. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the earth and everything in it, God says, uh, it's mine. Everything in the earth. Now, you might think, yeah, sure, mountains, oceans, uh, wild animals. Yeah, yeah, the Lord can say that they're all his, fair enough. Um, but what about, what about the things that we tend to think are ours, that we put boundaries up and say, that's mine, or the, you know, the, um, everything you have in your hands? Well, well, Psalm 50 would actually say, um, uh, all the, uh, let, let me just turn there, sorry, I'll flick in my Bible, Psalm 50. Um, verses 10 and 12. Um, for every animal of the forest is mine, God says. Now you might pause there for a minute and think, yeah, okay, sure, all the wild animals of the forest, yep, sure, yeah, they belong to God. But look at the next line. And the cattle on a thousand hills. Now the thing about cattle is they're, they're livestock that are bred and raised by farmers. And God looks at them all across a thousand hills and he says, you see all that livestock? That's mine. So what God is saying is, even the things that we raise, even the things that we think we own, the Lord says, that's mine. You go to Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, and um, you know that just brings it right home for us where God goes so far as to say, yeah, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. Which is to say, not, not only the, you know, the animals that exist and possessions, but the money that's in your hand. God says, it's mine. So can you let that one settle on your heart for a bit? Everything that is in your hands, everything you have, everything that exists, belongs to the Lord. And if you have it for a brief moment, it's been given as a generous gift, but God still owns it. And so the best way to view it is to understand it has been entrusted to you for a few short years to use for the purposes for which God gave it to you. Now, that, that is hard to swallow. Um, we would far prefer to look at the things that we have and say, mine. In fact, from a very early age, most humans learn the word mine very early. Um, someone tries to snatch, you know, a kid tries to snatch a toy off another kid and, you know, you, you hold onto it tight and you say, mine, you can't take it from me. And as we grow into adults, we don't lose that compulsion, that desire um, to hang on to what we consider to be ours. We just do it in more sophisticated ways and more mature ways. Um, we love to say mine. You know, one of the games that um, I've played on weekends away with the fellas um, which is um, to kind of help us stop saying mine and being obsessed with everything that's our own, is the, the game that um, 
Uh, everyone's got to agree to play in the game, and the idea is you never say the word mine for the whole weekend. Um, if you do say mine, you have to drop and do 10 push-ups. And so throughout the whole weekend, you know, everyone will be trying to get someone else to say mine, so you'll, you'll point to a coffee and say, who's is, who's is that coffee? Someone says, oh, it's mine, you know, 10 push-ups. Who's that surfboard over there? Who's this wetsuit? Can I come in this car? Who's who's this car? You know, you're just trying to get someone to say mine. Playing that game, you know, helps you do lots of push-ups all weekend. It also helps you to, you know, learn how to step away from saying the word mine, which is really helpful Um, because really it's his, isn't it? Everything is God's. He owns it all. It's just entrusted to you for a few short years. Now, you might say, but Tim, I worked hard to earn that money I, and, and buy that thing. Surely it is mine. I did all the hard work. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is going to try and nudge you around on that one. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is, this is instructions that God gives his people before they get, even get into the promised land, telling them likely what's going to happen. In their hearts. So verse 10 through to 14, God says, look, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good that he has given you. Be careful you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands and his laws and decrees that I'm giving you. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So God says, here's what's probably going to happen with you. The more you get... You know, the more your wealth increases, the more life goes well for you, your heart will likely grow proud and you'll forget the one who gives it all to you. Now, you might hear that and say, yeah, but surely they worked hard to farm those crops and earn that money, so surely it is theirs. Well, look at verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power And the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. You see what that's saying there? Our temptation is to say, look, it's my strength. I worked hard, so it's mine. And um, it's, it's what I did to produce wealth for me. And God says, hey, listen up. Who do you think gave you the ability to even work? Who do you think gives you the capacity to think and operate and make decisions and earn money? God says, all of that is a gift from me to you, you know? Which, which is, you step back for a little minute and think about your life, you know? It's easy for us to think, well, I'm good at this, I'm good at that, and to just think, yeah, it's your own strength, and, and by your own hand, you've done all those things. But really, you know, if, if you've got some stability from those early years, it's because God gave that to you by plonking you in a great, stable family to grow up in. You know, if, you, if you're proud about your education and your qualifications, just understand God, and, God put you in this country where education opportunities were an option for you, like they aren't for many others. He gave you the brain that you've got, you know, and the nutrition that you've had over the years so that you can think and learn and develop and do training. 
you know, that job interview that you went for and you got it and the career that you've been on? Who, who do you think enabled all of that to happen? The job that you, you, you get up and go to work and work hard all day long and come home, who do you think gave you the health to even get out of bed and the strength to get through each day? It's all a gift from God. And when he decides to remove all that, he will. And they're the moments we realize, wow, everything was a gift. God is the one who creates. God is the one who sustains. God is the one who enables you to do anything that you do. Everything you have is from him. So be careful your heart doesn't grow proud when you achieve and when you earn and when you acquire be careful you don't go down the path of saying mine and, 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 and desiring to own more and more. Instead, we're being encouraged here to actually stay humble or grow humble so that you can say it's all his. So that question, you know, whose is it? Well, it's his. Everything that's in your hands, everything at your disposal, it's his. And you know that desire in you to want to say mine and, and to want to say mine about more things as the years tick by, that's actually a very serious problem. It's very dangerous. It's, it's one of the key things that lies at the very heart of sin is the desire to be the owner, you know, the possessor of all things, which is the desire to be God yourself. Um, it, this is one of the things that, you know, Paul is raising for Timothy in the letter of the one Timothy. So flick back to there in chapter 6. This, this desire to say mine is very similar to this concept of loving money. You, you just love it. You want more of it. You want to say mine about more things. But look at, look at what Paul says here in verse 9 of chapter 6. He says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, piercing themselves with many griefs. So to love money, um, to actually want to say mine about more and more things, is to fall into a temptation which is a trap and it's going to cause foolish and harmful desires to well up in you that are going to plunge you into ruin and destruction. It's actually going to wreck your life. To be a lover of money and to want to say mine about more things will plunge you into ruin. And even more devastating than that, it will cause some people to wander from the faith. So it can wreck your faith. So do you want to watch your heart? You know, do, do, you, do you want, particularly in regards to your faith, do you, do, do you want to actually grow to desire God more and more? Then do everything you can to avoid the love of money. Avoid the mine framework. Adopt the his framework. And so I ask you this question. Do you believe that everything is his? All the silver, all the gold, all the possessions, everything on earth, everything in your hands. Do you actually believe it's his? 
because it's foundational that you do. And, and here's the second thing. One of the very key ways that you display, that you do believe that it's all his, is that you'd follow this biblical principle. And this is the second point and the final point of the sermon. The biblical principle is this, two words, one principle. Um, first, give. If you believe it's his, and everything that's come to you has just been entrusted to you for a few short years, a key way that you display that you believe that to be true is that the first thing that you do is that you would give. The first thing you do when you receive money or anything else is you give back to the one who gave it to you. Just, just as a symbol and as a sign and as like an evidence that he's the one who gave it. And you understand that and you believe that. You, you give. Yeah, by doing this, you indicate you get it. You indicate that it, you get that it's all been entrusted to you as a gift. Yeah. Now, we see this principle all the way through the scriptures. I'm just going to give you a couple of passages here. Um, and, um, and we're kind of going to go back into the Old Testament to understand this principle that you first give. Um, let me just um, press pause for one second. Okay, just need to find a few passages that I had slides made up for last night. Um, if you go to Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, you get the language of first fruits. So I'll read it to you. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Now understand this back in you know ancient society, it was agricultural. You know, people would farm crops and raise livestock, and so payday happened typically at harvest time or when you'd sell your animals. And what they've been instructed, God's people were instructed to do from, an, from, from right back in the beginning is that they would bring the best of the first fruits of their soil. So after all their hard work of plowing and planting and growing, when it came to harvest time, payday, the first of the harvest, the first of the fruit, they would actually give it, not keep it, but give the first bit. Um, you know, that's instructed in Proverbs as well. Let me just catch that passage for you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Now, how, how much of the first fruits? Well, as time went on, the concept of um, tithing um, emerged. And the language of tithing simply means a tenth. So, you know, Deuteronomy 14 is one of the places where you can see that. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all of your field's produce each year. So there's the concept of tithing. You'd, you'd give a tenth, so 10% of your income and wealth, um, you would give it. Um, now, on top of that 10%, you know, you could argue that the God's people were also instructed in regards to all the other festivals throughout the year to give offerings and sacrifices, which would have meant it was in addition to 10%. So it probably added up to more like, um, you know, 17 to 20%. God's people were instructed to give first. So there's, there's a couple of principles from the Old Testament, the concept of first fruits, and which evolves into tithing. And um, look, as followers of Jesus here 
in the New Testament, we know that we don't sit under the law. So not in the same way God's people in the Old Testament sat under the law. But this principle to first give still remains. Um, and actually, many, many New Testament Christians today do um, use the tithe, that 10% figure, as a guideline for where to start their giving. Um, and that might be helpful for you as well. We're going to look next week at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 um, at the, you know, in detail at the New Testament principles around giving. Um, and, um, but just to point out something this week, um, that, that when you come to the New Testament, you, you know, followers of Jesus are instructed to regularly set aside money for the Lord's work and to see it as a great privilege to do so and to see it as a key part of their joyful worship to a generous God. First, give. It's a principle that, that displays you understand where everything comes from and it's, it's the kind of practice that's actually going to keep your heart in check and help you grow. So do you, is that what you do when you, when you first receive money or anything? Is the first thing you think to do, is it to give? It's, say someone was to come to you today and just give you $50,000. What would you first think to do with that? I mean, if you're anything like me, you, your mind just starts to spin. You think, wow, I could buy this, I could do that. But as Christians and as followers of God who believe that he, everything is his and it's just entrusted to us, our first inclination is to give. Let it be the first thing you think to do. Let it be the first thing you do. When you receive your weekly wage, first give. When you get your monthly salary check, first give. If you get a cash gift, first give. When you get your tax back, first give. When you get an insurance payout or when you get a disaster relief payment, first give. You know, I think we can be pretty quick to put our hand out to receive and we can be slow to give. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to be to be people who are fast to give from anything that comes our way. You know, if it's the last thing you think to do, you know, once you've received any kind of money, you know, you've spent it on all your things, if, if the last thing you think to do is to give, um, you, you end up giving from your leftovers each week or each month or each year, chances are you'll hardly give. Because there's always more to spend your money on than you'll ever have. And that's just giving to God from your leftovers, which you might imagine could be um, a display of what your heart really thinks about God and what you think he's worthy of. Um, we've had a few dogs over the years in our house, and part of our instruction about raising dogs is um, when you're eating... You don't let the dog jump up at the table and eat with you. Certainly when you get a nice big plate of food on the dinner table, you don't let the dog have a munch at your food before you eat. No, if you're going to feed the dog any kind of human food, you feed it the scraps after you've eaten. That just kind of helps a dog know to remember where its place is in the home. 
Um, but if you give to God from your leftovers each month, it, it may be that you're treating God like you're just giving him the scraps. And that might be a reflection on what you think he's worth. But if God is the, the almighty Lord who provides everything, then surely he ought to have the primary position in our life. And surely that ought to be reflected in our giving. So you, you might need to actually sit down and reorient your finances and your budgeting. You might need to flip it all on its head if you've never done this. So that the first thing you do is give when you get paid. And then you figure out how to live on the rest. You know, this, this concept of generous giving is, I think, the glaringly obvious gaping hole in the barefoot investor philosophy. I mean, that's a, it's a good book if you've read the book and, the, you know, he's got a bit of a cult following, the orange card cult. <laughs> um, but um, there's, a, there's a big hole in his whole philosophy. Um, a lot of it's just good old-fashioned money management, but there's something missing. There's something missing that actually used to exist in good old-fashioned money management, and that is just generous giving, that it's the first thing you think to do. And people for centuries and centuries um, have lived managing their money in wise fashion, and whether they're Christians or not, many would set aside money to give to some kind of organisation or to the needy. And Christians would give to church as the first priority before they start saving, before they start spending. But if you just follow the barefoot investor, you'll see there's no room in his philosophy for giving. So if you're a Christian, by all means, look at the wisdom of something like barefoot investor, but please um, um, interpose you know, this, this biblical principle that the first thing you're meant to do is give. Uh, it's something that we've attempted to kind of teach our kids from a young age um, and um, re- really which we've just kind of copied from other families who are down the track from us. Um, the kids from a young age, have, each of them have had you know three jars, three money jars in their bedroom and whenever they do the kind of work that they get paid for, um, the money that they get paid needs to be split into those three money jars. One, the labels on the jars are give, save, spend. And from an early age, we've wanted our kids to, to understand that this is, this is your framework on what you do with money. You, you give it, you save it, you spend it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Um, it's not that much different in the adult world, although there's lots more complexities that do come about. I feel like we've needed to teach our kids that from an early age and then teach them again when they become teenagers and get their first job. Um, and, and then they look at their first money that comes in and, 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 and there's like uh, sometimes some reteaching that needs to happen here. Okay, let the first thing you do be give. You've got your three jars or your three bank accounts or whatever it is. Um, and, and a teenager who's earning like, I don't know, 50 bucks a week or something like that will probably ask the question, well, um, it's only five bucks. But, that I, you really want me to give that to church? Does it, does it even make a difference? Well, I say absolutely yes for two reasons. Um, a small amount makes a difference because small amounts add up. And as, you know, a decent number of people giving what they can, even if it's small, it all adds up and it's all helpful. So yes, it makes a difference. So whatever you're thinking, uh, if you're thinking, oh, it's too small, it won't make a difference. No, no, just give. 
Because the second reason why it absolutely matters and makes a difference is that it makes a difference in the heart of the giver. So even if you're only able to give a small amount, it'll make a difference for you. Every time you give, you will be reminded that what you've received is from God. It's all his and it's entrusted to you for a brief moment. And each time you give every week, every month, every year, and right throughout your life, you will be preaching to yourself over and over again, it's his, it's his, it's his, and he's worthy of anything that I can offer. Um, to, to give small amounts, um, but to do it first, is to keep training your heart um, about these truths. Um, so when you're entrusted with more, you'll continue to give first. You know, I've come across um, some folks over the years who, who, have, who have said, look, I'm not earning much now, but maybe later when I'm earning proper money, um, surely it'll be easier to give then and I'll start giving seriously then. Um, you're dreaming. Um, giving only gets harder the more you earn because it gets more complex and, and there's more available to you. Um, lock this in early. Um, lock it in um, with small amounts, and, and then as you grow over time to larger amounts, you'll, you'll likely be able to continue to first give. So there you go, kind of, there you go, kind of landing on you know, a really practical biblical principle, which, um, which I'm hoping will actually uh, help your heart to grow. And so let me finish with these, these questions for you and wrap up. Um, do you want to avoid the danger of the love of money? That desire to say mine for more and more things. Do you want to protect your faith? Do you want your heart to change and grow so that as time goes by you delight more and more in God? And you learn to worship and honour God, um, who is completely worthy. Then, do the uncomfortable work of assessing your money and adjusting your approach to spending his money that's entrusted to you for a few short years. It's all his. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word to us, this reminder that life and everything else is from you. It's a gift um, and it's in our hands temporarily for your purposes. Um, please, Lord, by your spirit, remind us of this truth over and over again. Um, help us to actually believe it and put it into practice um, with this first give principle. Um, Lord, we want our hearts to grow in their desire and delight for you. Um, please, Lord, um, would you use the finances entrusted to us and use our decision-making to, to change us so that we honour you in this area of our life. Um, and all the people said, Amen. All right, hope you found that helpful. Catch you soon.